0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of Trinity Church in Collierville, Tennessee, right outside of Memphis. For more information about our church, please visit our website, trinity901.com. So, my parents moved my freshman year in college to a house that was built and designed by an engineer who worked at the local steel plant, and as we are going through the house, looking at it, I found a room, downstairs, in the basement, completely submerged under the earth. I didn't know what it was, didn't under, quite understand why it was there. My dad turned the corner and he quickly realized that it was a fallout shelter from the Cold War. That in case there was an atomic attack, that the family could go in there and be safe. The problem is he never put on a lead door to the entrance to this shelter. So guess what it became for our family? The world's strongest tornado shelter. It is completely submerged underground in four feet of concrete and steel. And so we can go in there during a tornado and an F4 twister could demolish our house above, and we would be fine. We would be perfectly fine. Maybe not in the case of a nuclear war, but an F4, F5 tornado, absolutely. So in college, Vicky and I are dating. Now keep in mind that I grew up in northeast Alabama, and so Most everyone has a basement that they can go to that is underground. So I visit her home in Tupelo and there is a tornado watch. And I look at her and I say, where did you go in a tornado? Like it just dawned on me. Mississippi is very flat. No one has basements. And she looked at me and said, we go into the bathroom, and we lay down in the floor. And I thought, that's the most awful thing I've ever heard. You need a tornado shelter. You need to be able to go underground. This is, this is not safe, and I don't like this. And let me tell you, The many, many years that I lived in Jackson, Mississippi, every time there was a tornado watch, every time there was a tornado warning, fear struck my heart. Where do you go? Because we had, as a family, in Gadsden, Alabama, a true place of refuge. Here you go, you're safe, no matter how powerful the tornado is, you're not going to be touched. In fact, a hurricane could come over the top of that house and you would be safe. You would be protected. It was our place of refuge and it brought me peace. It brought me peace. And so we come to Psalm 2 this morning and we dive into this passage and there's no bathroom that you lay down in and you hope that the tornado doesn't hit your house. When you come to Psalm 2, God is telling you, come underground with me. Bunker underneath the steel and the concrete. I am your refuge you will find safety in me. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you that it brings life. Thank you that it brings grace. That it brings freedom and forgiveness and hope and refuge. Father, may your word just change us this morning. So that we have a deeper Deeper love for Jesus. Forgive the one who speaks, for my sins are great. Set me aside as you and you alone speak this morning. Amen. So as I told you when we begin a sermon series like we did with the Gospel of Mark and now with the Psalms, that I want to do a who, what, when, where, and why. I'm not going to continue to do this as we walk through the Psalms, but I think it's important to do in the first two or three so we're going to ask the question who who wrote the psalms who wrote the psalter well we know moses did and david as well as solomon the son solomon the sons of korah asaph ethan the ezerite hesite and that there are many where there is no author that we know of it's not named concerning who wrote that particular psalm What is it? Who wrote it? What is it? Well, it's Hebrew poetry. This is the hymn book for the nation of Israel. This is what they are to sing when they are high. This is what they are to sing when they are low. When? Well, we know that Moses is an author So we know that it dates from the time of Moses to after the exile in Babylon. So in other words, it spans for a good portion the history of the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. Where? Well, it is to be used in the public worship of God. And finally, why? Why did God give this book to His people in the Old Testament and in the New Testament And today because he reigns over his people he is desirous of our worship and by reading the Psalms and singing the Psalms we can be reminded that we can always trust in him that is the who what when where and why there are six genres that we see unfolded in the book of Psalms first is praise laments Psalms of Thanksgiving trust psalms of kingship and of wisdom and as i said last week or excuse me two weeks ago there's something important that we have to understand as people as the new israel who is on the other side of the cross from the time in which this was written and and that is that we always see the psalms through the person and the work of jesus christ Luke twenty four forty four says, Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. In other words, Jesus is our king. As the Son of God and the Son of Man, the Messiah, he is saying, This is about me. And so we've come to Psalm chapter 2 know that Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 are actually one book. Most scholars tend to believe this and that the editor of the psalm put this at the beginning as the introduction to the Psalter. I want you to read Psalm 1 and I want you to understand Psalm 2 in order to grasp the rest of this very important book, in order to understand what God is saying to you to the nation of Israel. I think, and many scholars think, and really I'm just leaning on them, that King David wrote Psalm 2, and that he wrote it for his son Solomon, and that he wrote it for his coronation, and that he designed this particular psalm to be used at all the coronations that would unfold throughout the generations of the Davidic kings. Now, there is a particular structure to this psalm that we need to understand. And that's how we're going to look at this passage this morning. It's a play, really. Um, It's a four-part play. That's probably the best way for us to understand Psalm 2. So, verses 1 through 3 are about a conspiracy. Verses 4 through 6 are about the resolve that the High King of Heaven is going to take regarding this conspiracy. Verses 7 through 9, these This passage is the proclamation of a royal decree by the son of the high king of heaven. And finally, verses 10 through 12 is about submission. Are those who are plotting this conspiracy ultimately going to submit to the king's son? And so we're going to look at it like a play and we're going to walk through it in these four verses so let's begin with the conspiracy the psalmist is saying that the kings of the earth have set themselves against the high king of heaven they don't want anything to do with him they want to break free from him they want to be autonomous they want to rule Notice in verse 3, it says, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Think of two oxen who were tied together. We want to break apart. We want to be free. We don't want to submit to the reign and rule of God. That is a very important phrase. The reign and rule of God. Now as we look at this passage that was written generations ago, we find familiarity in it. Isn't this the world that's around us? The nations raging and people plotting. Even in the nation in which we live, it's very easy to see that people are plotting against the Almighty King. Because of sin, we are rebellious. Because of sin, we want to We want to turn away. Because of sin, we don't want anything to do with the law of the Lord. And so people are blinded by their sin and they want to break free from Him. And if we turn on the TV or we get on the internet or we look at the paper, we can very quickly see that this is taking place all around us. We live in a sea of confusion We live in a whirlwind of evil. And so we see the conspiracy taking place at the beginning of Psalm 1. Now let's look at the resolve of the high king of heaven in verses 4 through 6. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. When the kingdom of God comes in all its fullness, Jesus Christ, our king, the son of the king, everyone will submit to his reign and to his rule. Remember, I mentioned that just a second ago the Lord laughs at the waywardness and sinfulness of the people of this earth. But then notice that He speaks to them in this resolution. And that He is wrathful and it terrifies them. And what does that tell us? Well, it's a reminder that God is pretty serious about sin. That God wants people to obey him, to submit to his reign and rule, to follow his word. That yes, it is laughable that people think that they could live apart from him. But then he, in essence, rises from his seat to say, you should obey me, you should serve me, you should love me. My words are true, I am the king. And then notice this, which is very important in verse 6. I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Because God is all-powerful. He has placed His king on the throne. He has placed a Davidic king in Jerusalem to rule over His people. And Israel to, is to be a shining example to the world. They are supposed to exemplify what it means to obey the covenant and to be obeyed, excuse me, to obey the covenant and to be blessed by God. That the nations of the world would see this and that they would come to this king and they would submit to him, that they would worship his God, and that they would be blessed. And as a side note, Zion is a pretty important word in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Really not sure where it comes from. It has a pre-Israel origin in that area of the ancient Middle East. We know that when David conquered Jerusalem, that he placed the ark on the northeastern hill and called it Zion. And then, after a period of time, the word began to refer to all of Jerusalem, the city of God on a hill where God's temple resided, where he placed his foot on earth, where his presence was with us. Thirdly, we see the royal decree. This is in verses 7 through 9. The Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. King David is speaking to Israel and he's telling them that the covenant that God has with us was established by him, it originated from him, and that as the Davidic king, I am a mediator between him and you, and my sons will be as well. And one day, one of my sons will dwell here forever Endeavor. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with the rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now that's imagery from the ancient Middle East whereby in order to affect to a curse, they would take a piece of pottery, they would write the name of their enemy on the pot and then they would smash it. And what David is saying is that your covenant with me and your covenant with my sons and your covenant with Israel will ultimately bring peace to this world, to the nations, which we understand is the coming of the kingdom of God in all its fullness. And that's significant because that's when the reign and the rule of King David or the son of King David will be ultimate and final. Now we see that in King Jesus. That he is the victor who's been resurrected from the dead. He has established the kingdom. We are waiting for him to return and to bring about this that is pictured in Psalm 22. Where there will be no nations who are raging against God. And all of God's people will bow to him and worship him. Finally, submission. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son lest He be angry and you perish in the way for His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. The Lord is... This is King David speaking. So... In the conspiracy stage of Psalm chapter 2, we hear the nations of the world speaking. They stand on the stage and they rebel and they revolt against God. In the second part of this play, we hear the resolve of the High King of saying, excuse me, of the High King of Heaven saying, I will place my son on the hill, I will place my son on the throne, and my kingdom will ultimately prevail. We hear the royal decree of the Son of the high king. And then finally in the submission of four bringing the nations into submission, we hear we hear King David speak. And he says something that's very important for us to understand. He's submitting, he's giving a warning to the to the rulers of the earth. And he's telling them to serve the Lord and to rejoice In him with trembling now this is significant because we see words of grace in these verses yes these nations have plotted against God these nations want nothing to do with him they want to break free from him but David is telling us in verses 10 through 12 that if you will turn and you serve the Lord with fear, in other words, you trust in Him and you worship Him with trembling, you will be blessed. That God not only comes to the nation of Israel who is in covenant with Him and offers them words of grace, but He comes to those who are outside of Israel and says, even in your rebellious, sinful, broken state... If you will take refuge in him, you will be blessed. And so it's a reminder of who our God is. That he is the Lord of heaven who looks down on the earth. And because he is holy, he cannot accept the sin that is here. That it it creates a division between us and him. But we also see in Psalm chapter 2 that He has a plan, that He is gracious, and that He is going to draw His people to Himself. That He is going to place His King on Zion. And that King is going to give His life for His people. That He is going to die so that we may receive the royal gifts of forgiveness and love and acceptance. And so our God is a God of grace and that we should come to Him and that we should take refuge in Him. Verse 12, it says, kiss the son lest he be angry. What does that mean? How do we understand that? Well, if you look at historical text of the ancient Middle East, you will realize that there was often such things as vassal kings, And there was a grand king. And that when a representative would go to those vassal kings to speak to them, to tell them the decrees of the great king, that they would come before this representative, that they would bow at his feet and they would kiss the ground. And so it helps us understand what's taking place in this passage when it says, Kiss the Son lest He be angry and you perish in the way. So the psalmist is telling us that we come before the King and that we give Him all the worship that He rightly deserves. That we submit our hearts and we submit our lives to Him. That we trust in Him. And so this psalm is very important for understanding the rest of the Psalter. Psalm 1 talked about the Word of God. It talked about the importance of listening to the Word of God, trusting the Word of God so that you will be blessed. And we're not talking about earthly material blessings. We're talking about spiritual blessings as God's children. Chapter 2 is saying that God is your king that he is gracious that he is loving and that he has a plan to restore you and protect you he is your refuge so think about psalm 1 and psalm 2 joined together as the grand opening to this hymnal of praise is there a better introduction than trust in the lord obey his word you will be blessed He is your king. He is your refuge. That's it. That's the opening to the Psalter, the hymn book for God's people. This is what you need to know in your heart as you wade through these chapters. So when we look at Psalm 2, we see something quite significant. We see the Davidic king speaking. We understand that this is a coronation psalm. We understand that he wrote it for his son Solomon. We know that he wrote it for his grandchildren, for all the Davidic kings to follow. We know that he talks about the nations as the heritage of the Davidic kings and the Davidic covenant, that the ends of the earth will be your possession. But then we also know the rest of Scripture. And they failed terribly. And this didn't happen. And so what does God do? He places His Son on the hill in Zion. God can't can't count on us to do what is right, to obey the covenant, to be faithful. So He takes it upon Himself to give up His Son. His Son takes it upon Himself to give His life for us. The Spirit takes it upon Himself to give us the blessings of the King to bring us into the royal family, to allow us to take refuge in him. So when we come to Psalm 2, we hear great pronouncements. It's a great introduction. It's strong words from our God to His people about our relationship to Him and all that He has done for us. And so we can continually run to this psalm in good times and in bad. When our hearts are troubled, when the issues of this life seem to be too much, whether it's parenting, whether it's work, whether it's family issues, no matter what it is, God is telling us in the last verse that because of Jesus, because He is our King, we can take refuge. That we can come to His Word, we can come to the Psalms, we can come to Jesus, His Son, His Royal Son, And there we find safety. There we find refuge. There we find hope. As the winds swirl around us, this is where we go. This is the royal decree that God's people cling to. Take that to heart. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank You for this royal decree. We thank You for Your grace and Your mercy that You have shown us through Your Son, Jesus, who You placed on the throne on the hill in Zion. We thank You that hours later that He emerged from a tomb victorious as the King of the Kingdom. And we long for the day, Lord God, when He will return and His reign and His rule will be forever. And everyone will recognize that He belongs to you. And He is worthy of worship. Father, go with us this week. And as we enter into a world that plots against You. As we enter into a difficult and fallen and sinful, and bankrupt, and violent world. May we take refuge in your Son. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.